Amen. Thank you, musicians and workers. I appreciate your help. Good morning. I want to add my welcome to uh, Pastor Jesse's. Thank you, all of you that have chosen to be with us. And I know that there are many people watching online, especially because of the uh, subject material today. So God bless you. Thank you for joining with us. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 24. During the Cold War, right after World War II, a group of atomic scientists were concerned that people did not realize how close we were to worldwide destruction due to man-made technology. So they created what's called the Doomsday Clock. This is actually a uh, picture of it currently. And this is a visible picture. What time is it in the world how close could we be to destruction? For many years, the doomsday clock was set at two minutes to midnight. 2020, with all the challenges facing the world, what you see there, they reset it to 100 seconds to midnight. One minute, 40 seconds. In other words, they are saying, we are close to the possibility of the end. I'm using that because in the text that we're going to read, God has a clock. It is a prophetic clock that the world can see how close we are to the end. And God's prophetic clock is the nation of Israel. I want to preach about Israel, God's prophetic clock. Let's start reading in Matthew 24, 32 through 35. The Bible says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, you know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Israel, God's prophetic clock. Let's talk about the center of the earth. God's purposes in the earth, they revolve around the nation of Israel, a specific people in a specific location. Genesis 17, 7 and 8 says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. In this scripture, God says, I make a covenant with a people. They are now called the Jews, the Hebrew people. God says it is an everlasting covenant. That means it will never be rescinded. It is a people. And specifically, it is a people centered around the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah 1.9, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. This is talking about the city of Jerusalem. Name in the Bible equals character. It talked about who the person is. And so... God says, I have chosen a specific place in the earth, a specific people 
The Jews are not better than everybody else, but God says they are a test case. When you look at the Jews, you see who I am through a specific people in a specific land, in a specific city. That is God's will. According to God, Israel is the center of God's purposes in the earth. Listen, I predict to you, you did not read in the news much about Latvia this week. That be fair? Why is it that this tiny little nation makes the news every day? Because according to God, it is the center of God's purposes in the earth. I preached a while back on the rise and fall of the bear, and I pointed out in Ezekiel 38, the coming battle that will be in the nation of Israel. The description there, God describes all the other nations in relation to Israel at the center because that's how God views it. Listen, other nations are in the Bible, but only in relation to Israel. According to God, all the other nations listed in the Bible, they only have two reasons in being there. You're either an ally or you're an enemy of Israel. Because Israel is the, is the, the center. America is not the center of Bible prophecy and God's purposes in the earth. I love America. You'd be hard-pressed to find America in the Bible because America is not the center. Germany is not the center. The United Kingdom is not the center. China is not the center of God's purposes in Israel it, uh, or in the earth. It is the nation of Israel. So if that's true, the problem is there is a great error that some Christians believe, and that is they believe that God has replaced the nation of Israel. This is called replacement theology. Numbers of well-known preachers believe this and churches believe this. They believe that Israel, the Jewish people, and the Jewish land has been replaced by the Christian church in the purposes of God. What they believe is that the Jewish people are no longer a chosen people, as God said in the past. Now they say Jews are no different than any other group of people in the world. And this is a, a, a belief that they have. Someone who believes in replacement theology, they will never talk about Israel. You'll always hear them talk about Palestine. Because they believe that Arabs have more right to the land than the Jews, and that is absolutely against the Bible. The problem with believing that God has replaced Israel is when you look at this as though the church replaces Israel, you cannot understand Bible prophecy. You will come to completely wrong conclusions. Much of Bible prophecy revolves around the issue of judgment. Uses word like tribulation, day of the Lord, day of Jacob's trouble. And the question is, in the final seven year period of judgment, who is going to be there? 
That is a very important issue. If you believe that the church is Israel, you will read about this time of Jacob's trouble, about people going through tribulation, and you will say, yep, we're going to be there because look at this scripture. It talks about God's people being there in that seven-year period of, of trouble. And so there are Christians who believe this. When are we going to go up to heaven? Midway through the seven year, at the end of the seven years, but you fail to understand all of those scriptures are not talking about us. They're talking about Israel. The Jews are the ones who will be here during that time. The text that we began with is a timing scripture. And the point of Jesus saying the words that we read, Jesus said, you can mark the time of the end. You can know that the end is getting close. How do we know? Look at Israel. We read there about the fig tree, and I'm going to explain, that's Israel. If you believe that the fig tree is the church, you understand the church is all over the world. Where would you look to understand if he says, look at the fig tree to understand how close we are. The fig tree where? Latvia? Angola? Where do you look? The church is all over the world. Who do you look at? What is distinct about them? But if it is one nation, then our text makes sense. One nation, the current population of Israel is a little over 9.2 million it is a very small piece of land. The entire nation is 290 miles from end to end, and it's only 85 miles wide. I think every state in America is bigger than Israel. But the point in this small place, God says you can focus in that one spot, and you can learn about timing, you can see what God is doing in the earth. To understand prophecy, you have to understand that God moves in time frames. Fancy Bible word, theological word is the word dispensations. All that means is God operates in different ways at different time frames or in different time frames. It is not that God changes his character. He doesn't wake up in the morning and go, you know, I think I'm going to be different now. He doesn't change his character. It simply means in time frames, he emphasizes different aspects of his character and purpose. We know, we read in Genesis 17, so we know that God made a covenant with the people of Israel in the land and the city and that continued, he did for thousands of years, God was working through the Jewish people in a land and a city, but then their disobedience to God. This is why some, some Christians believe that they've been replaced, because their disobedience to God, their rejection of Jesus Christ, but judgment, their nation and their city of Jerusalem was destroyed and they were dispersed, spread throughout the earth for more than 1,900 years. 
And so God's emphasis shifted. It had been the Jews for thousands of years, and now God shifts his emphasis to Gentiles, non-Jew. That's what uh, a Gentile means, those who are not Jewish. Acts 13, 46, Paul and Barnabas, remember these are Jews, they grew bold and said, they're preaching to Jews, it was necessary that the word of God be preached to you first, talking about the Jews, but since you reject it, you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, and behold, we turn to the Gentiles. Now there was a point in time that God's emphasis shifted. Doesn't mean that he gave up on the Gentiles. But from that moment, God has been emphasizing his work among Gentiles or non-Jews. We call this the church age or the dispensation or the time frame of the Gentiles, we are living in the time frame or the dispensation of the Gentiles at this moment in time. But the very important understanding is the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. It is not going to continue until the end. Romans eleven twenty five. I don't desire you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until, that's a timing word, the Jews are blinded to who God is until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so God is saying now, there will come a time where his shift or his emphasis will shift from Gentiles back to the covenant that he made with Israel, the Jews. Let's talk secondly about starting the clock. In our text, it speaks of a single event that starts God's prophetic clock. Remember, the text that we read, God says, just like the doomsday clock, God says, you can look at my clock and you can tell how close are we to the end. And in our text, it is telling us when does the clock start ticking for the end? It is the return of Israel to their land and the establishing of the nation of Israel. Matthew 24, 32 and 33. Learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, you know it is near. What is near? All the judgment he's been talking about, it is even at the doors. The fig tree in the Bible is used as a symbol of the nation of Israel. That's the fig tree. In fact, even in the Hebrew nation, they have the star of David and they have the fig tree as a symbol of their nation. The reason why the text that we read is so significant is because the nation of Israel was completely destroyed in 138 AD. Hadrian came, a Roman uh, uh, military uh, uh, commander. He destroyed completely the city of Jerusalem 
and he banned all Jews from living in the land of Israel. And so the Jews were dispersed throughout the, uh, the world. You hear a term, the term is the diaspora. That is the point in time in which Jews, they wound up no longer living in the land of Israel. They live everywhere. They live in Miami because, partly, they were dispersed throughout the entire world. Their nation did not exist. And then their nation was conquered by various nations. Through this, there were battles. The Ottomans, which were the Turks, Muslims took over Israel in the year 1517. And they ruled it for hundreds of years. In 1914, World War I broke out. There now, there was a huge need to make cordite gunpowder and England simply did not have the means to make it enough. A Jewish scientist named Chaim Wiseman, he came up with a way to make cordite synthetically and he didn't choose to make money from it. He gave that process to England. It greatly helped them in the war effort. In gratitude, Lord Balfour, an Englishman, wrote a letter to Lord Rothschild saying they would view with favor Jews returning to the land of Israel to build a nation again. The British captured Jerusalem again in 1917, ending Muslim rule there. Now they were able to determine what happened there. And then there was what was called the Balfour Declaration. This is Lord Balfour. Is, uh, he is uh, saying in this letter that he wants there to be a homeland for the Jewish people. That was in gratitude to Chaim Wiseman. Israel didn't exist as a nation for more than 1,900 years. There has never been a nation in history that has ceased to exist and then reformed and became a nation. That has never happened in history before. But on May 14, 1948, the British mandate over what they called Palestine expired. And on that day, May 14, 1948, the Jewish People's Council proclaimed the state of Israel and they became a nation. Isaiah 66, 8 prophesied about this thousands of years ago, said it would happen. In the same way, no one ever saw a country begin in one day. No one's ever heard of a new nation beginning in one moment, but Jerusalem will give birth to her children just as soon as she feels the birth pains. The day that the Jews got their nation back, God's prophetic clock started ticking. That's what our verse said. Do you want to know when did the clock start ticking for the end? May 14, 1948. The fig tree, that is the nation of Israel. God wants us to be able to look at that. Why does God want us to see this play out before our eyes? Why? Number one, because it shows us God is in control of world events. Some of you are really stressing about the world right now, aren't you? Some of you are really stressing about who's in power. How can we ever survive with that guy in power? Because Joe Biden's not in control, that's why. 
The United Nations is not in control. That's why. God is, if God is so smart that thousands of years ago he can tell us that the nation would be reformed, apparently he's not worried about inflation. He's not worried about the stock market. He's not worried about the government because he is in control. Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. See, it's God who determines what happens in the world. How do we know? Because he prophesied that Israel would become a nation. He can predict things in advance. That's why if you're not saved today, you better listen to this sermon. Put away your cell phone. Because God will tell you what's going to happen in advance. Number two, why does God tell us? So that we know the clock is ticking down to the time when God's purpose will return to national Israel. He's always cared about the Jewish people. But God's entire focus will move from Gentiles to Jews, Romans eleven twenty five, until the fullness of the Gentiles has, uh, has come in. That word fullness, it has the idea of full time. The clock is ticking on the Gentile age. It won't last forever. There's going to come a day God will say, full time, no more. It has to do with full measure. That's another way of translating that word. Listen, there's going to come a day when the very last Gentile convert will come into the kingdom. I don't know if that's going to be today in this morning service. God knows exactly how many non-Jews will get saved before the end. And he says, the day that that last one gets saved... No more will his purpose be the Gentiles will be Jews. The third thing is that the trigger. When, does, when, when do things shift from Gentiles to Jews? The moment that it does is what we call the rapture of the church. The Bible speaks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, disappear, removed, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. If you want to understand a puzzling book, the book of Revelations, Revelations 1 through 3, the perspective is the earth. He's talking to churches, people on earth. At the beginning of chapter 4, God says to John, come up here. And from then on, all of the judgments you see in Revelation, the perspective is not from the earth looking this way. It is from heaven looking down. That is the rapture is right now God's purposes. We are concerned with what's happening in there. But he's going to say to us, come up here. And every true believer will disappear off the earth and then come seven years of terrible judgment on everyone living in it. But one of the practical things, the moment the rapture happens is God shifts from Gentiles back to his original purpose, which is the Jews, the people in the land in a particular 
city. Look at one final thought. Let's talk about the thought of almost midnight. In the text that we read, God instructs us to look at the nation of Israel to know what time it is prophetically. Verse 33, so you also, when you see all these things, which things? The fig tree. That was verse 32. Know that it is near. All of the judgment he talked about in chapter 24. It is at the doors. So God is saying you can look at Israel and know what time it is. So the clock started ticking in 1948. But that was more than 75 years ago, right? They celebrated their 75th uh, uh, anniversary uh, uh, recently for this but uh, uh, it is more than just the date of establishment God says you can look at what's happening in Israel today and you can get an idea of how close we are to the end look at some events as concerns Israel that reveal what time it is three things we're going to look at before we close Number one, you need to understand the hatred of the Iranian people for Israel. For 30 years, the nation of Iran was ruled by the Shah, Reza Pahlavi. He ruled, there was relative peace between Israel. When the Shah ruled Iran, they were, Iran was no immediate threat. But in 1979, the Islamic mullahs took over. And these are Muslims, but they are hardline Shiites. The Shah was not a Shiite. You understand there's different divisions of Islam. There's Sunni and there's a, a Shiite. Hardline Shiite Muslims took over the nation. And the reason why that is important is if you are a Shiite Muslim, you believe in what they call Imam Mahdi. Mahdi is their version of the Messiah. They believe a man is coming to earth to usher in a golden Islamic age. And this is why, listen to me very importantly, why is that important? Because they say Mahdi will come to power through chaos. So in other words, in their religious belief, chaos is good. For many years, the Cold War, some of you are too young to understand this, the Cold War went like this. The Russians had nuclear weapons, America had nuclear weapons and we had mutually assured destruction, MAD. That is, we can wipe you out, you can wipe us out, don't do anything stupid or we're all going to die. They understood that because they had a fair idea of what is reasonable. It doesn't make sense that we all die. Shiite Muslims don't look at the world that way. You say to them, everybody's going to die. They go, excellent. Why? Because that's how Mahdi will come. The more chaos, the better. So hardline Shiite Muslims run Iran today and their stated aim is we want to wipe Israel off the map. 
You remember this guy, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad? This was, he said this publicly in the United Nations. He said Israel must be wiped off the map. The passion of Iran is to develop nuclear weapons. They understand Israel has nuclear weapons. They want nuclear weapons. And they openly say, why do we want nuclear weapons? To wipe Israel off the map. We want to destroy it. Remember our text is a timing verse. You can look at what's happening in Israel and you can know how close are we to the end. Look, look at this. Israeli Defense Minister Benny Gantz said just a couple of weeks ago, or maybe one week ago, uh, he said that, uh, I think I have a, a wrong Israel, Iran is just a few weeks away from having enough fissile, which is nuclear material, enough to build a nuclear bomb. He says this is weeks, not someday, weeks away, and so Israel is making no bones about this. They are saying, we are going to attack. We have to, not just hurt them a little bit. Right now in Syria, they come, they bomb a, 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 you know, a plane or a warehouse. No, they say, we have to destroy their ability to have nuclear weapons. He made a statement here. Benny Gantz, he said, the price for tackling the Iranian challenge is lower than it will be in a year, the time to act is now. In other words, they understand clearly if we attack Iran, it's going to cost us. They know Hezbollah, every crazy person in Syria are going to fire missiles at them. The world is going to be mad at them. But he says if we wait a year from now, it's only going to cost us more. So they are making no bones. We are going to attack and destroy Iran's military. So right now, Israel, at the time that I'm preaching this, this morning, Israel is in the middle of the largest war games they have ever had. They call it Operation Chariots of Fire. And the purpose of this is twofold. Number one, they're preparing their military for a full-scale attack to wipe out Israel, uh, Iran's uh, nuclear capabilities. And secondly, they're getting the people ready because the moment they attack, missiles are going to come. You better be ready to, to hide and get into bomb shelter. That is going on right now because they're not saying we're going to attack someday. They're saying Iran is weeks away from having a bomb, so we better do something. Now, they are going to wipe it out. The outflow of that I preached on Gog and Magog, the, the battle there in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Bible says Iran is going to join that. Right now their dream is if we get a nuclear bomb, we can wipe Israel out, Mahdi will come. If Israel is successful in wiping out their nuclear program, Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us they're going to join with Russia and a Muslim coalition to attack by land in the nation of Israel. So this is why God says, you can look at the clock. Look at Israel. You know what time it is. Let's talk secondly. 
the second thing you can look at is the destruction of Damascus, Syria. Remember the God who said Israel will become a nation again, even though it'll take more than 1,900 years. God tells us something else because he knows the future in advance, and that is Damascus, Syria will be destroyed Syria is, it shares the border, it's right next door to Israel. Isaiah 17, 1, this is a message about Damascus. The city of Damascus will be destroyed, only its ruins will remain. That, that is an incredible statement. Damascus, Syria, you see a picture on the screen, is the oldest continuously inhabited, uh, inhabited city in the world. In its 5,000-year history, Damascus has never been totally destroyed. The current population of that city that you see, there are about 2.6 million people. God, thousands of years ago, remember, he knows the future in advance. He says, that entire city, there will be nothing left. Think about today. We have, you know, a plane crash and a hundred people dies. Oh my God. 2.6 million people. And God says that is what is going to happen. See, for years, Syria was a low-level threat. They're Muslim. They're, they don't like Israel. They've even fought at different times. But they haven't been strong enough to threaten Israel's existence. Their leader, Hafez al-Assad, he died in the year 2000. From that time, outside forces have gained power in Syria. You know what happened in 2000 when the, when, uh, the uh, Assad died? His son took over, and one of the, the things that happened was civil war began to arise, so he had to seek outside help. Who did he seek help from? Russia. Russia entered Syria in 2015, making a pact. Putin made a pact with him that we will help you so that you don't lose this civil war. And in exchange, they gained a deep water port in the Middle East, very important for their ships and their uh, submarines. And so Russia gained power. Iran gained power. Because in the nation of Israel, they have been funding proxies. In other words, Iran would like to wipe Israel out, but there's limitations. So what they're doing is, they're giving proxies. You wipe Israel out for us, and we'll pay you or we will fund it. Primarily, this is Hezbollah, an Islamic terrorist organization. Iran has been for... A number of years, they've been transferring advanced rockets and drones to fire at Israel. This is what's happening. You, from time to time, you read about this. Rockets were fired. Iran, Iran is the one who funded that. Iran is the one who's providing those rockets and those drones. Iran has sent troops to Syria. Russia is currently, because they're involved in battle, they're pulling troops out. Everywhere that Russia pulls out, Iran puts troops in. So there are Iranian troops. Let me show you why this is important. Syria is right next to Israel. If we go to the next picture, I think it is the Golan Heights. Some of you have gone on the tour to Israel. 
You're looking here. This is Benjamin Net Netanyahu. There's Senator Graham. I don't know who the other two guys. I've been there. Where they're standing is Israel. Looking in the valley, that's Syria. That's why it's important. Iran has troops in Syria. Not like, wow, they're, they're right there. This is the danger <coughs> to the nation uh, of uh, Israel. And so the Bible says, Damascus, Syria, will cease to exist as a city. Some translation, the one I, I read to said it will be in ruins. Some translations say the city will be uninhabitable. How could that happen? Of course, you'd have nuclear, uh, chemical weapons that could explode. Chemical weapons. There are types that would make it absolutely uninhabitable. No way to live there after those chemicals are released. Or you could have, we don't know, this is speculation. You could have, Israel could say, the danger of their weapons and troops is so great, we have no choice we have to release a nuclear weapon to destroy that threat. Zechariah 12.2 says, Behold, I'll make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. And some translations say, I'll make Jerusalem a cup of poison to the world. They will hate Israel for what they did. Very likely it could be the destruction of Damascus, Syria. Think about how smart God is. Thousands of years ago, God knew that Syria would be a threat to the nation of Israel. Final thing we can look at on God's time clock in Israel, and that is Russia as an enemy of Israel. I, of course, preached a whole sermon on Russia as it concerns Ezekiel 38 and 39. I don't know if you know this, for a number of years, Russia and Israel have had common interests and they have work together. Do you know that Russian is the third most widely spoken language in the nation of Israel? Hebrew, English, Russian. Why? Hundreds of thousands of Russian citizens live in Israel. Here's a quote. In 2011, Vladimir Putin said, Israel, in fact, is a special state to us. It's one of the few foreign countries that can be called Russian-speaking. Another quote, March 2, 2016, Putin said the relations with Israel were special and based on friendship, mutual understanding, and long common history. Russia and Israel have developed a special relationship. 1.5 million Israeli citizens come from the former Soviet Union. They speak the Russian language. They're bearers of Russian culture. They have a Russian mentality. They maintain relations with their relatives and friends in Russia. This makes the interstate relations very special in a meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu in June 2016, Putin described Israel and Russia as unconditional allies in efforts to counter international terrorism. So the problem is we can look at the news and we can go, God, you said they're going to be enemies. But look at, look at all the nice things Putin is saying about them. But God says that's not what's going to happen in the end. God says Russia will attack Israel. Just a few weeks ago, Russian foreign minister Sergei Lavrov said Hitler had Jewish blood and the biggest anti-Semites, which means those who hate Jews, tend to be Jews. This caused a, an outrage. Even Putin had to apologize for that. Listen to this. May 16, Russian missile defense systems in Syria fired 
on Israeli uh, planes that were attacking targets in Syria. They've worked together because part of this is uh, Israel has needed Russia's permission. Iran is bringing missiles. We have to take them out. Don't shoot at us. Okay, we're together. We have common interests. For the first time, I think one week ago, Russia fired missiles at Israeli planes in Syria. Then you look at the news, you see that Israel is supplying Ukraine, which is Russia's enemy. Currently, they're supplying them with helmets and uh, numbers of other things, which Russia views as you are helping our enemies. You look at the news every day, what is Russia doing in the battle of Ukraine? They're cutting off natural gas to European nations. So what is happening is that nations are turning to Israel to become a larger natural gas supplier. Here's three quotes, Israel to boost gas supply to Egypt by 50% this month. Why? Because Egypt is selling it on to Europe. Chevron CEO says an Israel gas pipeline could supply Europe amid the crisis. Israel approves a new route for gas exports to Egypt via Jordan. And then, of course, when I woke up uh, this morning, the news changes every bit. Here is this morning's headline, and this morning's headline, seeking independence from Russian gas, the European Union turns to Israel. Russia will not allow this. This is going to change because Russia wants those nations to depend on them because they can force their will upon them. It's good. They're going to turn against Israel over this issue. And then, of course, they're going to see an economic ep- uh, opportunity. If they were to conquer Israel, which was my previous sermon, they would have almost a world monopoly on natural gas. They could force the world in this way because of the issue of gas. Ezekiel 38 and 13, Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and her villages will say to you, have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your hordes to loot, to carry off silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods and seize much plunder? Why is Russia going to attack? because of plunder, because of the money they can make. I'm going to throw this in. This is my opinion. I'm not saying that uh, the Lord revealed this to me, but this is logical common sense. I personally believe in addition to the huge amounts of natural gas that Israel is going to discover oil. If you leave that verse up for a minute, Sheba and Dedan and Tarshish, you know who those are in modern days? That is Saudi Arabia... That is the Gulf, the Arab oil Gulf states, and that is Iraq. Why does God say those nations are saying, have you come? Because they're all oil-producing nations. Oil-producing nations say, have you come to plunder? Why didn't they say England? Why didn't they say China? They said oil because the Bible says in Genesis 49, 25, The Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath. And Deuteronomy 34, 24 of Asher, he said, may he be favored by his brothers and may he dip his foot in oil. Because God is like really, really smart. In advance, he can predict things. 
And of course, as I preached before, this is going to lead to a Russian-Muslim alliance described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. As I close, God wants you to see the clock. He doesn't... There is an element that there are things that are hidden. We know that. But there is an element. God wants you to know what time it is. Why does he do this? Why would God let us see all this play out? To give unbelievers a chance to repent. There may be people this morning you came to church, but you're not right with God. I'm telling you, if the rapture happens and every true believer disappears from the earth, a seven-year judgment, you're going to be a part of that judgment. It's not going to go well for you. So God lets you look at the clock so that you can get right with God. He gives a warning to believers to be ready. Revelation 16, 15, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. God wants believers. Stay ready. If you're thinking about backsliding, not now. This would be a really, really bad time. It's always a bad time. Very bad time now. And then it gives us confidence in the midst of turmoil. If God can predict the future in advance, he's in control. You don't have to sweat the future. Matthew 24, 35 in our verse, heaven and earth will pass away. My words, my plans, my purposes, nothing can stop God. Nothing can defeat God. That gives us confidence. And then, of course, to prepare for an end time harvest. You know what God wants? God will ultimately judge sin. He's, he's very honest. I'm going to be blunt with you. If you're not saved, you are facing a devil's hell. But that's not what God wants. The Bible says he wants you to repent. He's not willing that people should perish. He wants people to repent. He wants to save you. So in love, he could just secretly nominate a time, don't tell anybody, don't let anybody know what's going on, and then... But that's not what he does. He lets you look at the clock because God wants unbelievers to be shaken. It may be that Israel may attack Iran and all hell will break loose. In a way, that will be very good because every unsaved person will get to see what time it is. God is preparing for an end time harvest God wants every believer here to understand you are a part of his harvest. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. I close with this story. A girl named Tilly Smith, I believe she's from England. He and her family were relaxing on a beach in Thailand two weeks before they went on holiday. In class, Tilly had learned about tsunamis in her geography class. They, they spoke about what to look for in a tsunami. While she's walking on the beach, she noticed the waves went out, but they're not coming back in, and she remembered what her teacher said, that is a sign that a tsunami is coming. So Tilly Smith started shouting, there's going to be a tsunami. This is a little, I think she was nine years old. A little girl is shouting, there's going to be a tsunami. Her father looked at her and went up to a hotel security guard. I know this sounds crazy, but my daughter says a tsunami is coming. The water went out, it's not coming in. 
the security guards started shouting, everybody get off the beach, there's going to be a tsunami. Everybody scattered and they found higher ground and sure enough, the tsunami came. And everywhere that they would have been on the beach, people died. You know, 230,000 people died in the tsunami worldwide. This is not the beach that I'm talking about, but that is a real picture of the tsunami that came. Everybody on that beach, they were wiped out. But on Tilly Smith's beach, everyone who listened to her, not a single person died. And that's what God says. He says, look, if you would just look at the clock, you could get right today because if the judgment came today, if the rapture happened today, you would escape because that is God's will. Let's bow our heads.